and welcome to a very special episode of the Migration and Diaspora podcast. Today I have on the show Christine Essen, co-founder and CEO of the Scottish Business Network, and Walter May, founder and CEO of Global Welsh. So first of all, a bit about Christine, Walter and their organisations. Christine is a practically focused economic development specialist with significant expertise gained from working in global, public and private sector organisations. Christine has worked with many business sectors, supporting them in their growth ambitions. Her particular specialism is supporting businesses successfully and sustainably enter new markets. As mentioned, Christine co-founded the Scottish Business Network, which is a not-for-profit global community facilitating greater communication and connectivity between the Scottish diaspora to proactively assist and support Scottish-based companies to expand internationally. Walter May has held senior business leadership roles in a range of companies from IBM through to startups in manufacturing, financial services, and the veterinary veterinary industry, if I can say it properly. He lived outside Wales for 20 years, and since returning, has involved himself in all aspects of entrepreneurship, as well as being a coach and mentor to many high-growth, high-potential Welsh businesses. He organised the inaugural Welsh Entrepreneurs Conference in 2012, followed by a series of university-based events from 2013 to 2014. He has written and lectured extensively on business and the game-changing potential of the Welsh diaspora. As mentioned, he is the founder and CEO of Global Welsh, a grassroots, evidence-based and private sector-funded organisation whose origins are within the Welsh entrepreneur community. I've been wanting to record this episode for a while now, because after working on diaspora engagement myself with diaspora communities and governments around the world, and also from my own experience as a Brit abroad for 10 years, I've often reflected on the potential of diaspora engagement for my country, the UK. The latest UN data points to 4.3 million British migrants around the world. But going beyond this to talk about the diaspora, those with UK heritage or affinity, we can reasonably consider the size of the combined English, Scottish, Welsh and Northern Irish diasporas to surpass 120 million, with millions of people each in the United States, Australia, Canada and New Zealand able to trace their roots back to our islands. And despite these huge numbers, despite the fantastic work that our neighbours to the south do to engage the Irish diaspora, and despite the UK supporting the engagement of UK-based diasporas in its international development work, the UK as a whole does not seem to have thought nearly enough about its own diaspora. But hope is not all lost, because in today's show, Christine and Walter talk us through their exciting work to engage the Scottish and Welsh diasporas. Both represent innovative organisations that are really pioneering the engagement of their diasporas. We talk about how their organisations were founded, what they do and how they function. Both Christine and Walter share insights into their choice of business models, with the Scottish Business Network running on a membership-based model and Global Welsh allowing free membership alongside some paid services. We also learn about how their organisations support Scottish and Welsh businesses to make international connections through introductions and ambassador programmes. And finally, I try to scratch some of my own itches by asking some questions that I had myself such as why there is no English diaspora organisation and what the UK and devolved governments have done and could do 
to support UK diaspora engagement. Tune in as well if you want to find out which Disney character and which famous Australian pop star are part of the Scottish and Welsh diasporas, not to mention a certain Mr. President. I really enjoyed recording this episode and in the show notes I've linked to both Christine and Walter's organisation's websites, along with a bunch of other things that we mentioned during our discussion. If you're a member of the Scottish or Welsh diasporas, and that could include anyone whose surname starts with Muck, and all the Mr and Mrs Joneses of the world, then be sure to check them out. Without further ado, thank you very much for listening and enjoy the show. Okay, so uh, Christine Essen and Walter May, welcome to the Migration and Diaspora podcast. So I'm really happy to have you here. I, I can't really explain how happy I am to have you here because I think this is a very fascinating and great menage of UK diaspora that we, we've got right here. And it's also the first podcast episode where I have multiple guests on. So uh, bear with me there as well. Anyway, please do tell us about yourselves. Christine, why don't you go first? Tell us who you are, where you're calling from. Well, first of all, many thanks for, for having me on this fantastic podcast. I've been listening to the previous speakers. There's quite strong acts to follow. So I hope, hope I can, can keep the level up here. I certainly know Walter has got a great story to tell and I look forward to sharing it with you. Um, so Christine Essen, I'm co-founder and CEO of Scottish Business Network. And despite the Scottish accent, I am part of the Scottish diaspora because I live just outside London. I moved here nearly 10 years ago, and it was really that journey, as I know we'll talk about later, um, which led to me establishing with my business partner, Russell Dalgleish, the Scottish Business Network six years ago. Great story. And well, just also to say, uh, I myself, Many people might know that I'm half Chinese. If not, I am half Chinese. But my British side is a quarter English and a quarter Scottish. So perhaps I'm also, I guess I'm also part of the Scottish diaspora. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> we, we would be delighted to welcome you. Delighted. <laughs> well, uh, you, you'll waive the SBN uh, membership fee for, for a year then, I guess. We're, we're always happy to welcome you. <laughs> okay, thank, thank you. Scott uh, style. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Um, all right, Walter. Please tell us about yourself. So I'm Walter May. I'm the, um, the the founder and CEO of Global Welsh. Established, well, when it was established, I started working on this in 2013, 2012, 2013. But it was established formally in in 2016 when we first got some funding to do some meaningful activities. So I'm based. Well, I was a member of the Welsh diaspora for 20 years, but I'm now based back in Wales. Um, in the uh, county of Monmouthshire and so looking forward to sharing the story and obviously you know being part of this series which is uh, fascinating I think for for people involved in diaspora and also people that are not because it's something that I only came across seven years ago eight years ago and it's a fascinating uh, area of activity and uh, opportunity. Excellent Thank, thanks for that indeed uh... Well, for a lot of people, you know, many people haven't even heard the word diaspora before. I'm actually quite glad that, especially I felt from looking at SBN's website, the word Scottish diaspora comes out very clearly. The word diaspora is coming into the mainstream, which is good. Tell us about the Scottish and Welsh diasporas as well. Give us a little snapshot of who they are. 
Well, Scottish diaspora, our definition, and, and you alluded to it there, that there's different definitions, but from our definition for Scottish Business Network, we talk about those who are born in Scotland, who worked in Scotland, have family connections, or studied in Scotland. That covers the term, those latter comments around the term affinity Scots. So those who see themselves aligned with Scotland through their heritage, through working here or having um, studied at our universities or colleges, etc. So that for us is the group, that's a wide definition, but really it's those people who feel that they want to, similar to our friends at Global Welsh, feel that there's an opportunity to give back to Scotland because something has given, Scotland has given something to them through their heritage or through work or life experience. So for us, Scottish Business Network captures those groups of diaspora. And, and in fact, this time last year, we launched our diaspora survey. I know it's something you're particularly interested in as well, but our diaspora survey, we reached out to Scottish business people across the world. That covered 74 countries that we had a response from, um, nearly 2,000 people, business leaders, C-suite business leaders responded to that. But the actual number in the Scottish diaspora, because I thought you might ask me that, is a wee bit challenging. A first minister in 2009 said they were welcoming home 100 million Scots back to Scotland as part of our homecoming. Our challenge is to be able to define diaspora um, numerically is difficult because often in global census, they don't ask, they don't split out Scotland as a separate country. They ask, you know, were you born in the United Kingdom? So that's, that's a difficulty for us. But put it this way, we have been sadly leaving Scotland all our days. So I would say between 50 and 100 million you're somewhere in the estimate of it. Okay. And just in terms of the main countries, and I'm sure this will overlap a bit with the Welsh diaspora too, except for these strange pockets of Welsh diaspora in Patagonia and other places, but where are the Scottish diaspora mainly, or where are the biggest, I know they're everywhere, but where are the biggest countries? Biggest countries, USA, Canada, strong numbers identifying as Scots in, in USA and Canada, um, New Zealand, Australia, Hong Kong, Hong Kong Shanghai Bank, started by, by Scots. Anywhere where there's strong trading links, historical trading links, and don't dismiss South America, you know, there's strong um, numbers of Scots in Chile, in South America, one of our ambassadors based, based in Brazil. They're the, at the obvious spots where you see, anywhere you see where the, the Highland Games take place, you know that Scotland's been there. Um, and with strong global trading links. Fantastic. And just very, very quickly, uh, name one member of the Scottish diaspora that our global audience might be surprised as belonging to the Scottish diaspora. I think most people know that Trump's... <laughs> I thought you'd try and skip around that. I know, we'll try and skip, skip that one, a non-political comment. Um, well, actually, here's a good surprise one. For 40 years, the voice of Mickey Mouse was delivered by a chap from Dundee, a chap called, now I've got his name, Jimmy McDonald. So the voice of Mickey Mouse was, was a Scottish member. <laughs> through, Incredible. 
Tis diaspora, so that might surprise most people. <laughs> <laughs> I think it will. That's amazing. Thank you very much, Christine. Uh, Walter, tell us about the Global Welsh. Well, I think uh, rather than repeat what Christine has said, I think it's, it's the same. It's the same definition, certainly in terms of where they are scattered. Uh, the concentrations are in the same countries that Christine mentioned. Um, I wish I could say we had 100 million in our diaspora. Um, but then again, is it about numbers? It's about quality, I think, as much as anything. <laughs> so we, we, if, if, again, the numbers are hard to come by, but um, you know, according to Wikipedia, Wales has a 3 million in its diaspora. So I quite like that because it's, we have 3 million people within the borders of Wales and we have 3 million people. So, you know, that's nice, um, nice number to, to, to remember and to, and to discuss. So I think it's, um, it's, it's 6 million of us, as Kingsley would say, Kingsley Aitkins, who's our, our, my mentor and someone we all look up Comes to. Comes up a lot on this podcast. Yeah, yeah you know, it, it's, uh, we're a board, of, on the board of SBN, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So we're a borderless nation of six million. And I, and I, I quite like that as a statement. And, you know, I think certainly for Wales, and I, I suspect it's the same for Scotland, you know, most, a lot, most even, maybe even the majority of our young talent leaves. And, you know, that's quite a, it's quite a damning statement, really, but it's fact. And, um, you know, a lot of quality Welsh people living somewhere else and you know if we can connect with a fraction of them um i think we'll be doing very very well and i think you know we could have a massive impact so same locations not as big um but you know i think it's quality as much as quantity yeah and well, um some surprising people that are members of our diaspora <laughs> i'm glad he didn't ask me that on the fly because i might have struggled with it but <laughs> um so i'll give you two uh kylie minogue wow is one and, well, and Hillary, are you counting New South Wales or? Uh... No, no, no. She's, um, you know, she's, she's firmly in the Welsh diaspora. In fact, she was on um, BBC Radio Wales being interviewed by uh, Carol Vorderman not long ago. <laughs> What's well, been lyrical about her Welsh ancestry. And, and in fact, her current partner is also Welsh. So, so she's one and Hillary Clinton is another. So there you go. Wow. I have to say, Walter, May, if we're playing talk trumps, Kylie Minogue trumps Mickey Mouse every time. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the Mickey Mouse example is certainly more unexpected, I would say. Sounds like there's, there's a lot of potential already we can hear from both of your diasporas. So tell us about how your organisations came into existence, really. You know, what's really driving you to respond to this, what presumably you see as a very big opportunity? How it came about, as I said earlier, I, I was a Scot living in London, working for the Irish. And um, every day I would be out speaking to the Irish diaspora. A couple of years ago, when they looked at a number of Irish diaspora groups in London alone, there were at least 21 Irish diaspora groups. And while I absolutely loved my time working with Enterprise Ireland, a fantastic global organisation, what I started to become pretty quickly very conscious of was that I would be out talking about the engineering and life science and digital capabilities of the south of Ireland. Who was actually telling those stories about Scotland to the Scots living in London? 
And I really couldn't find that group. I couldn't find that community. It wasn't from a point of view that I personally wanted to connect with them from, you know, personal going golfing or cricketing or something. But I wanted to be able to share the stories because my background is in economic development. I've worked in this industry for 30 years. So when I started looking around, I discovered that unless you were a lawyer or into rugby or golf, um, or maybe at country dancing, there was no opportunity to showcase the phenomenal global activity that's happening in Scotland, that more satellites are put in space come from Glasgow than any other European city. And in fact, the whole space industry exists within Scotland from idea to development, to build, to launch into space and to analysis of data. That all happens in Scotland who was telling the story to the Scots here in London? And one day, kind of by chance, but because I'd been invited by a man who shares my train link, I met my co-founder, Russell Dalgleish, in a coffee shop in Tottenham Road wow. in London. What a story. By chance. And we get talking, and I told him about the great work that the Irish do with their diaspora, what was happening with the Scots. And Russell is a serial entrepreneur. He is an absolute phenomenal networker. And he has a great passion for helping particularly scale up businesses in Scotland. So there we were. I, was econ I am economic development specialist with expertise from working with the Irish diaspora and helping Irish companies come into the UK and connecting with the diaspora. And there was Russell had the connections. So it was that coming together and then being able to have a launch with Martin Gilbert, globally recognised Scottish financial um, leader, and at that time at Aberdeen Asset. And they helped us launch by providing the facility and the space to speak to 20 Scots. That was how it started one January evening. Um, just we, I wrote out, I wrote a letter to people, and it's always if you want to get a response, write a letter to people. <laughs> I got that response, and from that, that idea and how seeing how well the Irish do it, that I knew that Scotland could do the same, and that was how it came about from a passion that Russell and I have. So that, yeah, that's a fantastic story, especially I like the element of storytelling that you that you mentioned and telling the success stories and providing a platform for the diaspora is, is in itself part of diaspora engagement. And Walter, so tell us a bit about the global Welsh story too. First of all, I'm completely here by accident. This is not something I planned to do. And it came about because um, when I returned to Wales, I kind of immersed myself in the entrepreneur community. Um, which led me to organizing the very first entrepreneur conference um, in 2012. And in organizing that conference, I kept getting emails and phone calls from people that had left Wales. Uh, and they all more or less said the same thing, which is, I really love Wales. I'm probably never going to come back and live there. Um, I've done all right since I've left. And if there was a possibility to help in any way, I'd be very much up for it. And in fact, some of them had even tried to connect back to Wales, to give back and, and it failed. So, so I kind of thought, well, if there's enough people out there that want to do that, we'd be crazy not to provide them a, a mechanism by which they, by way they could do it. So then I <laughs> come across this word diaspora engagement and, and I thought, well, I've never, I don't know what this is, but it looks like it's really interesting. And 
being a sort of person I am, I thought, well, I need to find someone that knows more about this than I do, because that's the quickest way to learn. And um, I stumbled across Kingsley. And Kingsley was very generous in spending time with me and, and giving me some background to what this is all about and the potential. And it's because of him, really, that I'm here. And it's because of what he said to me. And he said to me, and, you know, very straight faced, you know, Walter, you know, do you realize that there could be as few as 20 people in the Welsh diaspora that could fundamentally transform the Welsh economy? And I thought he must be joking. That can't be, you know, that can't be true. Um, but, you know, he did convince me that while it may not be 20, it might be 40, 60, 80, it's not a large number. But then he went on to say that, but actually, you, you don't know who these people are, you don't know where they are, you don't know what they would give back to, and you don't know when they might give back. So, you know, it's quite a challenge to, to go and do this thing. And I thought, yeah, I'm not sure I want to do it, and I'm not sure I'm the right person to do it, but I'll take another look at it. And when I, when I took a look at it and got more convinced that it needed to be done, I also got convinced that if anybody's going to do it, it would have to be me. And being a kind of uh, engineer by background, I thought, well, I, I need some evidence. I'm not going to just launch into something without any evidence. So, so I raised a bit of money from entrepreneurs and from Welsh government, and I did a piece of research. And that research, you know, spelt out loud and clear and, and reinforced what Kingsley had said. So that research led to a business plan and then led to raising some money to actually start something. So, you know, that's, that's my journey. And, you know, we started something um, based on research, evidence-based, community-led, and private sector funded to date. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm pretty proud of really of, of the base in which we've built this thing. But um, yeah, complete accident. <laughs> yeah, well, I think uh, you've, you've clearly done, you've both done great, great jobs in pioneering this in the UK, as it were. And I totally agree as well with what Kingsley said about how you, there is, there could be, there is this very small uh, number of people who could really change and and make things happen for for your countries and for our countries and um, and we saw that as in Ireland's you know as part of Ireland's Celtic Tiger success story you know a lot of that investment it is it can be argued has been catalyzed by that critical few um, Irish Americans who uh, brought companies like Intel over you know in the first wave of tech investment into Ireland um, so totally agree with that uh that what you said last walter uh, brings us very nicely onto i suppose how your organizations how your networks are structured and and i'm, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on on this because you're both i mean your organizations you have a lot in common but they're also structured a bit differently and positioned a bit differently and uh, so so i'm curious about global welsh because i feel at least my impression from the research I've done about your organizations is that, you know, Global Welsh, for instance, they've st they've gone with a, you've gone with a kind of free membership model or any Global Welsh can join. I think I signed up to your mailing list just to, to check it out. Uh, whereas SBN has gone for a kind of membership model. So I'm just curious as to what factors you took into consideration when determining your model. So, so most of our funding to date has been uh, private sector funding based on they believe what we're doing is, is worth supporting. So it's been 
stakeholders within Wales, that's organizations and individuals, uh, but mainly uh, high net worth members of our diaspora. So that is the, you know, the, the, the biggest chunk of our funding, but we know that, you know, donations are not sustainable. So we, we know we have to build a recurring and sustainable revenue stream. And we're doing that through, well, we did it initially raise the money also, we crowdsourced the money through the website, but we needed, um, we needed to develop our own platform. So we have um, a, a platform called Go Wells Connect. So this is the place where we bring our community together and we launched it in, well, just as lockdown happened last March. So <laughs> the time I don't think was brilliant for us, but uh, nonetheless, um, we allow people to join free. So it can be a freemium member with limited uh, functionality and limited uh, um, access to the platform. And then we have currently two tiers of paying member. One is a, what we call a Pathfinder member, which is for the young 18 to 24 year olds that are just starting out in their, on their professional careers. And then we have pioneer members, which is 25 and upwards. So we are monetizing it through membership. And we also have, we're going to be launching a business membership um, in this quarter. So it's, it is ultimately a membership play, but we want to allow, we, want, we don't want to discriminate the people that can't or don't yet buy into what we, we do and don't see the value. We give them the opportunity to, to be a Freeman member so they can make an informed decision whether to, to pay the money and become a payer member and get more access to greater functionality. So, so that's kind of how we've, we have built it so far. We still got a long way to go, I would say. Um, and we think there are other revenue streams that we can we can develop. Um, we started to see some of those already. People coming to us and asking us to do things for them, which then sparks ideas in our mind as to how we could do something and replicate it many times to to build up a, another offering that is you know recurring. So it's the recurring revenues that are important ultimately for us. Thanks for that. And well, I'm hoping as well that the UK and Welsh and Scots government are listening to this and seeing the opportunity. And also as a another comparison network, Kia New Zealand, the, the New Ze not the car company, but the New Zealand, Global New Zealanders network that I'm, I think you're, you're both already connected with. They operate a model where they, uh, I think it's free to join and they get a lot of a lot of government funding as well because there is a lot in gov for governments you know there's a lot in it for governments and we'll come to that in a bit anyway christine i'd love to hear more about uh, the sbm model and it's more of a mem clear membership model to me so why have you opted for that model yeah. I, I think it's you know all the things you're just talking about there is walter talked about sustainability that that's a driver you have to make this as a sustainable business model because this is a business um, you know, we looked at um, IIBN, the Irish International Business Network. We looked at Kia. Kia is a really interesting one. One of their key sponsors was Air New Zealand. You know, but that they, you, you don't get that overnight. Walter has been incredibly successful in, in getting significant fundings from the private sector. That is always a key aim of ours. But what... The, the model we have gone for is a not-for-profit. We're currently going through um, community interest company. That will be our model. So that, that's the most important thing. This isn't a profit model. And that's a message that I'm very, Russell and I are very clear about. We're a not-for-profit community interest, interest company. And we're currently looking at the B Corp um, 
company status as well. Um, that's quite, you know, it's a challenge to go through, but for all the right reasons. So why did we go for a, a membership model? Why did we go more importantly for a not-for-profit model? That came about because this isn't the Russell and Christine show. This is about Scottish entrepreneurs. And this is about making meaningful connections, which is what I know Walter is, is all about and what we're all about. So making meaningful connections led us to think, how do we then structure this business? And that led to the not-for-profit structure. Why we have paying membership, but that's not a barrier. You know, you can still present to our members, even if you're not a member of Scottish Business Network. You know, we're, we're a broad church from that regard. But what became very clear literally from that first meeting I had was that I thought this would be a nice little job to do at the sidelines, to do, and, and you know, the odd hour during the week might, might kind of keep me going, another interest to have in this new environment. And uh, obviously I can now see Walter shaking his head and laughing because we know this is not just a nice wee job to have on the sidelines. What Walter and I have discovered is there is a market gap for this. And that is the commercial side of this. Nobody else is doing what Scottish Business Network is doing, which is providing that practical platform and showcase for Scottish-based businesses to tell their story and seek support. So by me coming out of I had a really senior role within economic development, we had to find a way of making this sustainable, allowing me to at least uh, pretty much only cover expenses on this. And that, that's what we are doing. We have been phenomenally supported by the Scottish Government, who literally from day one were behind what we're doing and continue to do so. Um, that is a strategy that we've taken. And we've had Scottish Government funding because they see our focus in London and the South East as a key focus for them. And they are very happy to support us. But that is a finite funding source. But similar to Walter, yes, we have the funding source from our members. We have funding source from projects that we run. We have particular expertise in certain areas that people ask us to come in and deliver on their behalf be it the Scottish Institute of Hospitality, London Scottish House, whatever, so we can deliver through projects. Um, we do have government funding, but we are um, delighted that we will shortly be announcing our establishment of a company in the US um, because we see, as Global Welsh has seen, as the Irish have seen, US is a very interesting market to be in when it comes to philanthropic donations from those Scots or affinity Scots or affinity Welsh or Irish who see that as a market opportunity to help with the economic development of their home country. So yes, it's membership, but it's not for profit. We're looking at B Corp and it's um, projects, it's government and philanthropic. We're also a community interest company as well. Mm. With, with a board, I think the board is important to, um, in, to, in terms of to help develop the organisation and make it sustainable, and not just to be a the Walter May show, as as Christine said, it's not. Um, 
So yeah. just to clarify, so we are also not for profit. Very good point. And Christine, just briefly, I know there's also another Scottish diaspora organisation called Global Scot. So how would you compare and contrast what you do? Compare and contrast because, yes, you could look at it on the surface and the surface is that there's Scots around the world who want to help Scottish businesses, but nobody has a monopoly on that. And the delivery of that is different to uh, Scottish Business Network, Global Scots. We are both doing fantastic jobs there and we have a very strong collaboration with Global Scot and we make sure in fact yesterday had a fantastic update with Julie and what the team are doing there and where we look to support we do, where we look to collaborate we do, we continually keep each other informed because we don't, we're too small a nation to be fighting with each other or to be tripping over each other so but where our differential, and I use the term clear blue water, is that once a month there is an online bringing together of Scottish businesses and the global diaspora, and now it is global because we can all come together on that one platform, and Scottish companies showcase who they are, what they're about, what their global ambition is, because we only deal with companies who are seeking to export and export means anything over the Scottish border. England, Wales and Northern Ireland is a massive export market for Scotland. So we showcase those companies. And most importantly, and what is our, very much our USP, is we ask those companies to have a laser-focused ask of the audience. That is pretty much the clear blue water between us and Global Scott. Global Scott, absolutely, companies can go and seek assistance from specific individuals. We are a more wider community with a very clear monthly focus and our USP around laser-focused ask. What are you asking that Scott in New Zealand or the, the Scottish diaspora community? What support are you needing to help you grow in, in your export ambitions. I'm also curious to ask you both about your achievements to date and especially, I know you've done a lot, so I was wondering if you could first of all zero in on a couple of things that you're most proud of. It's also asking the question about how we should assess the types of impacts that diaspora organisations like yours can have because sometimes, you know, the business of networking in some ways is a little bit ongoing and it's not always clear to the outside observer what impact it's having. Yeah, you're right. I mean, a lot of the, the benefits of what we're doing go um, unnoticed or don't always come to the surface. And sometimes people forget who instigated um, a connection that led to something meaningful. They just know that they got a result, but they don't always remember um, maybe the role that Global Wealth played in that. So. So we, so a couple of things, we, we, we're still early days. So again, going back to my mentor, I was told don't expect huge results within five years. It's probably between five and 10 years when you start to see substantial uh, outcomes. But nonetheless, we've, we've, um, we've launched an investor portal and we've attracted uh, inward investment to into Welsh based tech businesses by and large from our diaspora. We, we have, we've done a piece of research and established that there is a very strong appetite within the diaspora to donate to a, uh, an investment fund. So I think that's, that's a question lots of people asked, but no one ever answered until now. So we know, you know, we have the evidence 
that there is an appetite within a, the Welsh diaspora to put anything between two and three million into a fund. And that is from 150 respondents. And people who know better than me think that that could scale up easily to 10 million. Um, we have had some huge success in round out our My Mentor program. So we've got several FTSE 100 um, CEOs, former and current and former mentoring young Welsh business leaders. And I can't say too much about the detail because it's, it's, it's confidential, but there are some significant uh, conversations and game-changing kind of conversations going on between several ambitious Welsh businesses and, and their mentors. Um, we have run during the lockdown, the first lockdown, a, a, a series of what we call future series um, online events where we brought our thought leaders in various industry sectors to, to speak to um, you know, our members. And again, trying to measure the impact of that is difficult, but we know it's impactful. Um, we have opened up a number of city hubs uh, who are already facilitating international trade within their particular locations. Um, so, you know, we've done, we've done a lot. Um, and I think it's really groundwork, a lot of it. You know, it's basically launching various programs that um, we know will scale up as we, as we go forward. Clearly, the pandemic has um, changed things and maybe dampened, I think, some of the momentum. But, hey, we'll come out of it and we'll be ready to, to scale up when we do. Absolutely. And the pandemic has also highlighted the need for these sorts of networks too. Yeah. You know, diaspora really come into it during the pandemic and responded in, a, in an incredible way. I like to praise you both on your websites because I feel that both of you use digital communications really, really well. And both of your main videos that are on your about pages are very, you know, very emotional. And even me as someone who's partially Scottish diaspora and not Welsh diaspora, it even moved me, which is which is quite something. So both of your websites are very fresh. And especially, I, I don't know, I feel the Global Welsh one also is trying to appeal a bit more to the, the wider audience and the young people in yeah. general. So, uh, and that kind of comes across. Anyway, Christine, tell us about SBN's, what you're most proud of. Yeah, I, I think just want to pick up as well an important point that Walter made there, and it's about impact measurement. Mm -hmm. And it is it is very difficult to say, oh yeah, well, we, we just made that happen, or you know, I can point to that existence of that contract or that development happening because of Global Welsh or because of Scottish Business Network. The thing is it does happen because what Walter and our organizations are doing is facilitating meaningful connections. And sometimes those connections don't come together till, you know, like five, six years down the line. But it's the facility to make those connections, which I feel is absolutely key in diaspora engagement. You know, if Russell was here, he would tell you we didn't go into this because of diaspora engagement. He'd never even heard the word, word you know, we both still... You know, you say potato and I say potato. He says diaspora, I say diaspora. <laughs> you know, we can't even agree on how to say it. It's kind of interesting. But um, the fact is that it, we make in these organisations a strong impact, but sometimes it's difficult 
to measure and get that thread through. And that's where the whole you know, analysis of our KPIs is challenging. What we are most uh, you know, proud of, goodness me, you know, numerous things from helping the Scottish Bee Company get into Japan, helping a company in the remote Outer Hebrides essence of Harris, get into you know a Beverly Hills stockist you know those are the things because there's a human aspect of it that is so important but one of the things we we're really flying the flag for very similar to, to Global Welsh is around the ambassador program and how that came about was as I mentioned earlier this time last year through our partnership with Momentous Change who did a phenomenal piece of research based on a point that I'd raised in um, our Global Diaspora Conference that we held in 2019, seems an awful long time ago, but where we said we don't actually know what Scots think, Scots overseas think of Scotland as a trading nation. Scotland's um, government produced in 2018 the Trading Nation Report, which is really all about pushing for more exports, but nobody ever actually asked the Scots what do you think as a Scot living in Hong Kong, in Singapore, etc., what do you think about Scotland as an exporting nation? And what do you think about Scots as exporters? Now, from that, as I say, nearly 2,000 responses, 74 countries, we get some great insight which has helped us strategize going forward about the fact that Scots are friendly, resilient, entrepreneurial, but we're inward looking. And also we haven't taken enough time. One thing that came very strongly through is create a cultural understanding of how to operate in a new market. That is fundamental coming into a new market. So from that piece of research, many Scots directly approached us and said, we really like what you're asking there. We really like what you're trying to achieve. Can I be your representative? Can I, Ian Houston, be your representative in Washington? Can I, Fiona McKinnon, be your representative in, in New Zealand? Now, we have now representatives right across the world. We just uh, announced Tom in, in India. And that was because we asked a question of our diaspora and people wanted to be engaged. And the value, and I'm sure Walter would say exactly the same with your global hubs, the value you can get from that on the ground eyes and ears insight is invaluable for a Scottish or a Welsh business sustainably entering a new market. So at this point in time in middle of January 2021, that's the thing I'm most proud of because those ambassadors came absolutely to the fore during the global pandemic and told us all about the story in their location. I mean, I think the ambassador program is a really brilliant idea and also very well executed. It seems like you've got the right caliber of people as well as just having someone in every place. They're the right people in those places, too. I think you're alluding to the are you alluding to the diaspora survey, the, the business diaspora survey that you did. Right. So. Um. I just wondered if you could just expand briefly on that and the utility of it. For me, you know, I do a lot of public sector work, a lot of work with UN agencies and, and I 
did a diaspora survey recently for uh, the Fijian diaspora in Australia. For me, it's kind of very research focused and publicly funded. So it's kind of the government wanting to get a better sense of who their population is abroad for many reasons. And so I just wanted to hear your take on what the business case was for you folks what value it had beyond asking Scots what they thought about the trading relationships? The value and why we did it is really because, as I said earlier, nobody had ever asked the question. Yeah. We, we have an excellent documentation and leading to the execution of how do we help Scottish businesses export. And that lists where, where the gap is between, you know, Scotland has been increasing its exports over a number of years, but we are not increasing them to the level that we should be for a nation of, of our size. And, you know, I'm always one that likes statistics here. It's the accountant in me comes out, but 146,000 Scottish businesses, only 11,000 of those businesses export and 100 businesses account for 60% of Scotland's exports. 400 account for 20%. So you're basically 10,500 account for 20% the rest of our exports. But when you think of it, 346,000 companies in Scotland, only 11,000 of them export. There is a gap there. But of those who are exporting, how are we perceived overseas. That's what we wanted to get to the nub of because our focus is on engaging the diaspora globally. And the Scottish government had provided us with this great insight and statistics of where we rank in the world and where they were focusing on. But we wanted to hear directly from the horse's mouth. What was the view of you as a Scot overseas What's your view when you look inward? And, you know, the, there's a great, we're, we're coming up soon to, to Burns Night here in Scotland and around the world, and there's a great phrase, which is to see ourselves as others see us. And that's really what we did. We asked, what do you think of us? And what do you think of us in regard to being an exporting nation? And what do you think about us as exporters? That's a phenomenal insight that nobody had ever asked. And how we're taking that forward, where our first step was with the ambassadors programme, but there's so much intelligence there that we use on a daily basis, particularly around cultural understanding, particularly around its play to our strengths. We are friendly. We are seen as resilient. We are seen as ethical business. That's a really important point when it comes to doing business across the world. Well, I think it's also worth pointing out, I mean, Walter and the folks at Global Welsh, I know you've also done, well, you alluded to a sort of survey you did to see what the appetite was for investment. And I know, Walter, you also, you sort of wrote a, a research report yourself at the beginning of this journey. And yeah. I'll link to that in the show notes. Do you have any other plans to do these sorts of surveys? We like doing research because it gives you the insights rather than guess at something. If you're going to make it, an investment, you need to be pretty certain that that investment is going to give you a return. So obviously the original research that Global Welsh was based on, I did myself, and we've done two other pieces since then. We had one of our diaspora in Canada that was into um, deep web uh, research, did a piece of work for us on the Welsh diaspora. And the results were quite, there were some surprising results in there. We haven't shared it with anybody yet, so I won't, I won't say what they are, but 
it kind of um, ran contrary to what you read elsewhere. So who's right, who's wrong, I don't know, but it was certainly insightful. And we, 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 we just got to decide how to, how to take advantage of that re research. But that was done by one of our diaspora. It didn't cost us anything. Um, we were told it was about 15,000 pounds of research involved in, in producing that report. And then the, the research into um, you know, the, the fund, we, we also ask questions around, you know, would you donate to a fund? If so, what would you want that investment to be uh, focused on? It came out strongly that ethical investments were, were pretty strong in the response. But we also asked questions around, you know, what do you see the barriers to investing in Wales? And again, some surprising answers. Um, and again, again, probably a question that's never been asked before. So as Christine said, just go and ask. And if you've got a large enough community and they're you know, representative of the diaspora, then you can get a lot of um, a lot of insights into you know, and answering questions that probably never been asked before. So it's a powerful research um, source, that's for sure. And uh, just briefly, because I'm curious, I mean, uh, what what were the barriers that what types of barriers did the Welsh diaspora point to? Well, infrastructure, both uh, um, IT and um, and transport infrastructure. Hmm. Um, perception that um, the public sector has too big a say in the way that the country is developed and there's not enough private sector involvement in policy decision making and so on and so forth so okay. those kind of things yeah so so research is good is a good thing I, and I really enjoy doing that I get quite excited when we uh, want to when we pose a question and we get the answers all right, and to change direction a bit, I wanted to ask, so here today we have the Scottish Business Network, we have the Global Welsh, and we also know there's Northern Ireland connections, and there's a ton of stuff going on south of the border in the Republic of Ireland to engage the diasporas. There's one conspicuous absence here in this discussion, and of course we're talking about your dear noisy neighbours, uh, the English so what is your take on that? I'm not aware of any English diaspora organizations. Walter, what do you think um, about that? Why is there this absence? Please be kind. That's a really good question. Um, many years ago, we, um, we um, curated a, an event at the, at the Hay Festival and we had a guy called Tim Finch. He did, Tim Finch used to work for a, a research organization whose name escapes me now, London-based. And Tim spoke at the event I wish my memory was better, but he, he basically gave the explanation as to why he didn't think that there was a lot of activity around the English diaspora. In fact, he wrote a report. So I can't give you an insightful answer to that question, but I know Tim could. Obviously, England's the, 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 the bigger part of the UK and it's the most prosperous part. So maybe there's an arrogance that I don't know, which says, you know, we don't need to tap into diaspora. Or maybe they're, they're already tapped into the diaspora, but in in a different way, maybe through the um, embassy systems and and so on. So I, I really don't know. Christine, any thoughts to add? No, no, not not really. I mean, I genuinely don't know um, why that is. I, I I really don't know, and I'm not English, and I there's I not not in a place to speculate. Fair enough. I know there was a paper done by the Institute for Public Policy (IPPR) a while ago, approximately 10 years ago, about the UK diaspora. And oh, Tim Finch did. Is, oh, is, okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. So we're on the same page. And but that report did point to some opportunities. I think it's called Global Brit, making the most of the British diaspora. And I'll link to it in the show notes. And it did point to a lot of opportunities for UK diaspora engagement, because at the end of the day, it is all about affinity, right? Some people in the home nations have affinity towards their home nation in particular, and carry that when they go abroad, and carry that even down to their descendants. And others have an affinity to the UK. And I've lived in Canada. And I know that there are some Canadians who identify with being Scottish Canadian or or English Canadian. Others identify as having that tied more to the UK as a whole. I don't know. Walter, you look like you have something to say. Diasporas don't have to be at the country level. As we know in Ireland, there's um, there's various diasporas that are more localised. So if you look at, I guess, the reason global wealth exists is, you know, Wales is not as prosperous as it could and should be. And, and so, you know, the diaspora could, could, could impact that. So, you know, if you look at some of the reasons of the, of, of England, they are, they have a similar problems to, to Wales and they have a population similar size to Wales. So the Northeast, the Northwest, um, they could have their own regional diaspora program. So the Southeast of England, I doubt they see the need, but certainly some of the um, other locations in England could could benefit from their their, their diaspora, which they'd have uh, a very interesting diaspora, I suspect, if you're from the north, east or northwest. Yeah. I mean, it's a very good point. In Ireland, every county has a diaspora or had, had funding for a diaspora engagement strategy. And I've certainly got, I've got a Canadian friend whose mother is from East Sussex, so my home county. And he's always fascinated to come visit and learn more about the county, you know. I don't don't want to put forward my own views too much, but I listened to a podcast, Under the Tartan Sky, Scottish Diaspora podcast with Russell Darglish. And I remember he was asked a question about when should companies, when should Scottish companies use, you know, made in Scotland or made in the UK? And his answer was very uh, sensible, in my view. It was, you know, when there's a business case to do one or the other, you know, that's what you should do. So I don't know, maybe perhaps there's a business case for a UK diaspora organization, perhaps there's not. But I certainly feel that if we go back to this whole point about affinity and also taking into account the fact that affinity can be cultivated and Ireland has cultivated that to great success. So if you feel Irish, you are Irish. If you have an Irish name, then you are part of the Irish diaspora. So taking that logic, applying it to the UK the UK, including England, uh, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland, has a very, very, very large potential diaspora. Anyway, that's kind of my my take on it, but maybe I'll be the one to found an English uh, diaspora association. <laughs> anyway, and just continuing on along the UK track, what scope is there? What should the UK government or I guess the devolved administrations, what are their roles in diaspora engagement in the UK and, and amongst the home nations? I think, you know, we're already seeing that um, within Scotland, we we do have a global Scot model um, delivered by Scottish Enterprise, which is um, part of the the, the Scottish government. That's where the the funding comes from. But, you know, from alongside that, uh, just reiterating my earlier point from a devolved administration, we get excellent support from 
the Scottish Government. They are highly supportive. You know, ministerial engagement is, is absolutely there when we require it. And um, so they're totally behind what we're doing. They're totally behind global, global Scots. We recognise that we are a small nation and we're a small nation which is now separate from, from Europe. So geopolitically, we have to be, you know, banging the drum loudly across the world of what Scotland can do. And, you know, some of that can be challenging. You know, I just before I joined this podcast was listening in to our um, US ambassador, Ian Houston, based in Washington, who, was, who has done phenomenal work um, for us to help us be involved in the UK-USA trade negotiations because Scotland doesn't so much have a place at that because they are led at um, Westminster level. So I think there is a place for these type of not-for-profit diaspora um, organisations where sometimes you don't want to see politics at play, where individuals and not-for-profit companies and have a place and a voice on behalf of Scottish businesses but it's not under any political banner. Mm, that's a very fair point. Walter, what was your take on this, especially just also to give listeners some background? The Government of Wales released an action plan on diaspora engagement fairly recently, a month or two ago. It's a short document. It's a bit like Ireland also released a new diaspora strategy, and I guess both the Irish and Welsh strategy and Wales's action plan are very kind of short, concise, well-presented, action-focused documents. So there's a bit of context. Walter, what's what's your take on this? Well, I think Wales doesn't really have a, a brilliant um, identity on the world stage as a as a trading nation. Um, we're not. We don't get much recognition as in, in a business context. We get a lot of recognition as a for our sport in prowess and our artistic um, uh, talents. So part of what we're doing, uh, and I, I, you know, is trying to establish a, an identity for, for for Wales as a as a business a trading nation and and for Welsh businesses. Um, I think. Partly because of the work we've been doing, I think Welsh government um, became convinced that there is some merit in this. Um, I think Brexit maybe brought some uh, additional imperative to that. And you know, the, the Welsh government have recently um, ten, put out tenders for um, diaspora services, of which we um, bidded and won the first tender that they put out. So we. We're currently now delivering diaspora services on behalf of Welsh Government, and it's in three areas. No surprise, one is um, international trade, uh, the other one is inward investment, and the third one is mentoring. So it's you know it's right in our sweet spot. So no surprise that um, that we actually were awarded the contract, and there are others in the pipeline. We believe we don't necessarily think that there'll all be ones that we'll bid for, but. You know, we want to stay as focused as we can as uh, as on business and 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 um, and prosperity, economic prosperity. Um, but there are other reasons, cultural reasons, that you might want to engage with the diaspora, um, and I think they're thinking along those lines as well. But it's clearly, you know, trying to get as much as we can a, a visibility, as Christine said, for for Wales in our case and and Welsh business and. Central government, um, I have tried. I have um, had conversations with um, various people that represent Wales in Westminster, but 
we've never really uh, got any traction uh, in that in in that uh, in that regard. I, I don't fully understand how central funding versus uh, devolved government funding works, but you know, right now our focus is on you know building our relationship, building our credibility with with the Welsh government, so that we can get as much support, um, financial and and non financial support as we can to achieve the things that we want to achieve. And, you know, it isn't all about money. Um, it's, it's about other things as well. So, so we had our early, early stages of building that relationship. Brilliant, and congrats on, well, I know it's not about all, all about the money, but congrats on getting that money. I think there is a big opportunity and it doesn't have to be about the UK doing UK things. It can also be, the UK can also follow the very successful model that Ireland has adopted, where it's mainly a lot of the implementation of diaspora engagement is done through other organizations, through the private sector, through not-for-profits like yours. So it can be about acknowledging this as a national priority and at least allocating money to it in some way, especially because, as you mentioned, Brexit happened, the UK needs its friends in the world, and the UK, one of the UK's strengths, I believe, and a very latent strength, is that huge number of people around the world who have some sort of link or affinity with the UK, with the UK or with the home nations or with both. So I don't know, hopefully someone from Department of Trade, FCDO are listening to this and <laughs> will take some action because also just to add as well, and I don't know if this has come out in any interactions that you've had with your diaspora members, but as a Brit myself, uh, an Englishman who lived abroad for 10 years, there are certain barriers that you face when coming home or while you're abroad. You know, you lose access to the NHS at some point, you lose access to the vote, and there needs to be some sort of national conversation to determine whether we as a society think those things need to be changed. But those things can only be changed at UK government level. Anyway, I'd really love to keep talking about this, but unfortunately we have to close at some point and I know you're both very busy. So finally, what are your visions or predictions for the Scots and Welsh diaspora and the Scots and Welsh diaspora engagement for the 2020s? Or if that's too long in the next year, you know, just give us some of your predictions. Our ambition is to continue with this global mindset um, to support Scottish companies going global. Our, our ambition is to reinforce that support that we can offer through the ambassadors. We have a very strong ambition to have a um, Scottish Business Network ambassador in every state in the US. And we're working very hard to get the right people in place. You know, there is a strong interview process for this. So um, that that is, is an absolute core ambition of ours. And also to ensure that um, by being sustainable as a business, that we're able to be there to support Scottish companies who have that ambition, that passion and commitment to go global that we can help them in making meaningful connections by connecting with the Scottish diaspora. Very well said. Oh, and just very briefly, you mentioned that you want to have ambassadors in every US state. And is there any particular, are there any particular parts of the US? We've got a lot of US listeners to this podcast. So are there any particular parts of the US with particularly high numbers of, of, of diaspora Scots? Oh, no, I don't have that 
analysis, believe it or not, of every other piece of analysis, but I don't have that. But where we, you know, we currently have ambassadors, we saw very strong uh, response coming from Texas area. We also saw from California, from Washington, from New York, where we have our initial ambassadors. But listen, this is a case of we don't know what we don't know. So if you are a Scot and have a strong affinity to Scotland and a strong business network that you feel that you can answer the questions that will be raised by Scottish companies coming into your market, help them with cultural awareness, address the issue that we are too inward look, inward looking, but we do have an entrepreneurial focus, be delighted to hear from you. On that note, before we get to Walter, maybe we can just ask you that last question, Christine, which is how would you suggest listeners connect with you and your organisation? Sure. Um, I am on LinkedIn, so it's Christine Essen. There's not many Essens out there, so it's Christine Essen, E-S-S-O-N. And uh, my only request is that if you are asking to connect with me, please just drop me a wee line and explain <laughs> why that is. I'm sure Walter's the same. I tend to get inundated and sometimes I don't always know the reason. So if you can just drop me a wee line or please just drop me a line at christine at sbn.scot. Love to hear from you, particularly if you're an affinity Scot or a business leader in your country or, or state and you want to hear more about what's happening in Scotland, we'd be delighted to connect with you. So through LinkedIn, through um, our, our website, all the W's, sbn.scot, through my personal email, christine at sbn.scot, or I'm on Twitter, at sbnchristine. I look mm. forward to Thank from you so there. much. We'll link to all that in the show notes. And indeed, listeners out there, remember the note to your LinkedIn ad, which is good practice anyway, I think, when you're uh, when you're connecting with people on LinkedIn. And Walter? Yeah, so I would just uh, emphasize, we, we are a startup still. We don't, we're not a fully, fully um, grown business yet. So, so for us, in, you know, in the next couple of years to become, you know, reach a sustainable revenue position and also to maintain our entrepreneurial kind of um, mindset because you can easily lose that as you grow. Um, and also, I think we, we don't want to be considered as an institution um, within Wales, but we certainly like to think that people in the next couple of years will view us as, as part of an important part of, of what Wales is about and what Wales is trying to achieve. Um, clearly, we, we've set some ambitions in terms of growing our community um, and establishing more city hubs um, around the world. So we, we, we certainly set, set targets for that. Um, but it's really about get in that sustainable position and becoming uh, the go-to organization for anything relating to uh, diaspora engagement and the four things that we're here to do, which is international trading, investment, thought leadership and mentoring. So if we can, we can do that, we'd be very happy. Fantastic. And just very briefly then, I mean, how can people connect with you? Um, well, I, I'd happily receive any emails of it from anybody that thinks that um, what we're doing is of interest to them. So it's Walter at globalwelsh.com. Um, we have a website, which is www.globalwelsh.com. And we have our community platform, which is connect.globalwelsh.com. So any one of those um, happily, like I said, receive emails from anybody. And I'm, I certainly get a reply very quickly. Um, 
and yeah we just want to engage with as many people as we we can and help us but also more importantly help them in their careers or whatever objectives and ambitions that they might have that connecting back to Wales could play a part in. Excellent well that's a very good note to end on and I want to thank you both for coming on the show I've really enjoyed it and learned a lot about what you, all the great work you're doing so keep it up hopefully 2021 will be better than 2020 and thank you very much and take thanks care. Christine thank you Walter joy to see you lots catch up thanks thank you take care bye thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of the migration and diaspora podcast if you've enjoyed it you can check out the podcast website at loxanharley.com forward slash podcast there you can subscribe to the mailing list or get in touch if you want to be on the podcast be sure to follow the podcast via your favorite podcasting platform and leave a review if you can thanks again and see you next time